Welcome to the Writer's Block, episode one, uh, State of the Union, recorded live at the Mainframe Comic Con, brought to you by Hopscotch, uh, the fine Scottish blend that brings out the kid in you. Uh, I am Rylan Grant. I didn't prepare him for that one. He's laughing about it. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and The Jump. Uh, the man in the box uh, to the right is... David Avalone, uh, screenwriter and comic book writer of, oh, things, uh, Betty Page, Elvira, co-creator of Drawing Blood with Kevin Eastman. Uh, I've written Doc Savage, The Shadow, a bunch of old-timey stuff, you know. Love it, dude. Um, so we will get to our very distinguished guests in just a moment, but I think we should first take a moment here to set the table, right? Um, let them know what our show is all about, since it's the, the first episode, the first time anybody's listening to it or seeing it. Yes. So uh, I think for a lot of us comic book creators, the, the best thing about cons, which we're all missing right now, is hanging out with your peers and telling war stories and kicking around the state of the industry. And uh, what Ryle and I wanted to do is recreate that, but without the thing of shouting over the loud music at a bar. Yeah. And so what you'll find uh, as the weeks go by is that there isn't going to be a real strict format here. Um, every week we're going to kind of bring together a small panel of, of writers, of course, but also artists, uh, colorists, editors, uh, the whole nine yards. And we will talk about anything that's going on in and around comics and sort of whatever else comes to mind. Um, we are free associators here. Um, but before we get started, uh, uh, thank you, Aaron, uh, Naboos for the congratulations on our first episode. Um, thank Absolutely. We have some great guests today friends and Romans and countrymen uh, who are uh, great writers uh, and uh, fabulous human beings. Can we bring in Erica Schultz and David Walker? Nice. There we are. One big happy <laughs> Live long and prosper, David. Yeah. Now, 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 I'm sure you guys... I'm sure you guys heard in the waiting room. It's our first go at this. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're still sort of, uh, uh, you know, figuring our, our way around uh, the curves in this. Um, we, uh, there was a lot of debate on this, but in my panel experience, I love that you can always see uh, sometimes Avalone's wife will just kind of like yeah, cross in the background. Just a, do, a, do a pass by. I said, you know. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 it's so amazing. I, I love this at home stuff. Um, but uh, in my panel experience, I think it's always best to let the guests introduce themselves. Uh, uh, you know, you know you better than uh, than we know you. Uh, so, so you know, let, let us know who you are, what you've done, and uh, and how you're feeling today. Um, I am. Well, I, I I was waiting to see if if David was going to go first because you know he's like the. The A level here. I'm like the B plus. Um, God, where I, does that put me? D. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm F, I'm F, but you have the A level <laughs> hair out of the four of us. Yes, so. I have. I have the Pantene hair. There you go. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. So, um, so I am Erica Schultz. I am a writer and editor. Uh, I've written uh, Daredevil. I've written Revenge. I've written uh, Hawkgirl for DC. Uh, my uh, own series, Forgotten Home, is currently on Comixology Originals. It just got uh, collected, um, I almost said last month, but it technically got collected in June. And uh, I'm an editor at Mad Cave Studios, and I am a uh, writing instructor at the Cupid School. Awesome. David Walker, ladies and gentlemen. 
Wow, we I, I needed a writing instructor when I was at the Cubert School. We didn't, we didn't have it. <laughs> um, well, my name is David Walker, and I'm a writer. I uh, am co-writer of Bitter Root over at Image, uh, co-writer of Young Justice and Naomi at DC, but I've, at Marvel I've written Power Man and Iron Fist, Nighthawk, Occupy Avengers, uh, a few other things, and I've got my own little indie comic thing going on my you know because because working in comics isn't heartbreaking enough i've got to self-publish too and uh so so that's what i do and i teach part-time at portland state university very nice very nice yeah. i just i got my copy of the hated a week ago and it's excellent yeah i know thank you donald trump uh but i love it <laughs> Uh, this is real time. What's been going on with the the post right yeah, here? Yeah, I'm glad we could get that get a, a plug for the post office in here. Uh, but yeah, great alternate history Civil War stuff. That's as you know, right up my alley. And also, I can't launch a podcast without you being the first guest. So there's that too. So. Oh, okay. Well, you know that's good. I'm, I'm glad I can be somebody's first something <laughs> in a positive way. Hopefully. <laughs> Well, and I think, uh, I, you know, I, I think David has, uh, uh, well, David Walker, they're always, I, I, I can't do a podcast without multiple Davids. Uh, seriously, the uh, the last time I did something like this, there were, were there three Davids or four Davids? I think there were three Davids and we changed someone's name to David. So it was, uh, so everybody kind of had nicknames, but um, as, uh, as, as David Walker uh, was alluding to um, strange times, right? Uh, at, and that is our topic, our food for thought here. Again, this is this is going to be unstructured, so hopefully that doesn't you know frustrate you. Um, again, this is uh, uh, this is us sitting around a table, uh, you know, at a bar uh, after a con day and, and, and talking about kind of the state of the union. Um, but uh, the strangest times ever, right? I'm going to go through a uh, a list here of all of the kind of. Uh, kicks to the face and stomach and groin and wherever else, uh, 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 you know, the universe has decided to kick us lately. Well, I'm going to miss some. Started, this is a good time to take that drink if you have one with you. <laughs> or two or three. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, so we get hit with COVID. Uh, then it's pencils down everywhere, right? Cons start getting canceled. Um, people like me, and 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 I'm I'm interested to hear uh, 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 how you guys have been affected here. Uh, we're having books shelved or delayed. Um, comic shops closed. Um, Diamond holding uh, uh, you know um, uh, company the word stocks. Called, uh, called ransom is the word. You're yeah, yeah, <laughs> holding the ransom. That, that, that's Sorry. a great thing. Uh, you know, um, frank, so if we're if we're being frank, it's called oh, we're ransom. being frank. Ransom sure. is so so polite. That's such a polite term for it. But yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying, David. I'm trying to. You know, I said I, I teach for the school. I'm trying to be. You know, a, a role model. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, I get it. I get it. There's there's some words I would use that that go beyond ransom, but it, it the, the 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 gist is there. They yeah. they somebody owes me fucking money. That's all I know. <laughs> so. Uh, a lot of people owe a lot of people money, and that's what we'll get into. Let, let me get through the list, and then and then we will just free associate and all this stuff. Uh, I mean, because it goes on. I mean, it, it's that would be enough for any for any ten people on a podcast, but it continues with us uh, with with Comicsgate, with Dynamite, with sexual harassment stuff, Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, the DC bloodbath, trouble at IDW, trouble everywhere, really. Um, all the trouble that the four of us 
know about, but we can't talk about it on the air or in a convention setting, right? Um, uh, 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 creators like us moving in droves to Kickstarter is is, is an interesting thing to, to kind of swerve into, right? Um, uh, and then the U, uh, USPS trouble that's uh, that, that's killing us all right now. I, I'm about to fill a Kickstarter, and, and I've just seen uh, uh, shipping in some cases double, uh, shipping delays, um, uh, books that should have taken a couple of days to get somewhere taking a month or months, um, uh, and creators getting bones in uh, any and every way possible, be it financially, uh, be it um, you know your your opportunities disappearing. Uh, uh, all of that. And so I have set the table. Um, and so let me know, like, you know, I, I mean, we each have our, our own story. Um, how is this affecting you guys? And more importantly, how are you dealing? Right. Thank you because, for this delicious uh, shit dinner. That you <laughs> <laughs> Scoop it up. Here's a spoon. So yeah. tempting. The flies buzzing around. Oh, I know. And, and, oh, and, you know, and, and as you alluded, there's all the stuff that we feel kind of okay talking about, and then there's all the stuff we've been told in confidence, and all yes. the stuff that, well, how confident was that confidence? And was that a secret? And holy shit, that can't have been a secret. And in the back of your mind, like NDA, NDA, NDA. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, I've signed very few NDAs. Most of it is just, you know, and the thing, there's stuff that has been public knowledge for years, that people are pretending wasn't public knowledge. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of IDW's uh, publisher for one week, uh, who is now gone, uh, who I knew was an embezzler 10 years ago, or no, five years ago, Uh, but somehow they didn't. Uh, Nobody asked me. Uh, They they asked- Before you do anything, you gotta ask Avalone. I think, you know, I do know where some of the bodies are better. but yeah, God, there's so much I could I could literally end my career at every single publisher in about 40 seconds of speech right now <laughs> with everything about every individual. Because, you know, to get to the worst part of this for me right at this exact second, when it was revealed a month ago that D- Dynamite had been working with Comicsgate, someone reached out to give me that news. I had not seen it yet on Twitter. And I went down every publisher and said, oh, so I should work with the people who did this or I should work with the people who did that, or I should work with the people who, who coddled this sexual harasser for 10 years, or I should work with the people who coddled that sexual harasser for 10 years. It's, you know, it's, it's monkeys all the way down. It's bad. It's, it's, it's bad everywhere. And the thing that I always say as a, like, as a codicil to all of that is, look, I'm sure the president of a cardboard factory in Duluth is also a scumbag. Like, it's not just us. It's not just our industry. It's people who own things and people with money will tend to abuse that privilege. Uh, so I, I don't think, especially Ryland and I, and I did, all of us coming a little bit also from the film industry, not really a shining example of, uh, of uh, a clean corporate world. Uh, I, I worked at a New York ad agency for 10 years. There you go. All right. <laughs> you know, straight out of college first job out of college, I was an assistant in a creative department at a New York ad agency. All right. So I was, you know, cute 22 year old, uh, invited to client dinners because they liked to look at me. And that's not like an ego thing. I'm not saying that like, oh, look, you know, cause I made a joke about my hair earlier, but I'm saying like that was like, <laughs> oh, let's invite Erica to the, to the client dinner 
because the client thinks she's cute. Not let's invite Erica to the client dinner because she's smart and she's got good ideas. Right. But stupid 21 year old me is like, oh my God, they really want to listen to my ideas. No, they want to play grab ass. Let's right. let's be honest. So you they were begging, mesmerized. You were begging essentially. Mesmerized. Yeah. From Mad Men. Yeah. Yeah. But I honestly, was, I couldn't watch that show because it was it genuinely, oh, it, it triggered me. I could not watch that show. Yeah. I, I can see where that would be the case. Yeah. It was the hair. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in all honesty, I, I donate my hair every couple of years uh, to a company that makes, uh, it, there's a company called Locks of Love and they make uh, wigs for cancer patients. So I grow, grow my hair very long and then I chop it and I was about to donate my hair before lockdown. So I haven't had a haircut since January and my hair is like bamboo. It just grows really, really long, really, really fast. So I'm sorry, David. Um, <laughs> you can yeah, have some of it if you want. <laughs> I, I could use it. I mean, mine does, what's the, what's the exact opposite of bamboo? Uh, <laughs> my, yeah. Chaparral? Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, but your mustache is way fuller than mine, so I, I, I have a very spotty mustache. So, it's all right, true. it's okay. Just work I'm on glad it. We're It'll keeping with the grooming, with the grooming part. I shaved my head early in COVID because I knew I couldn't get a haircut, and it's coming back in kind of a Timothy Dalton as Niles Calder thing. And I don't know how it's, nice. yeah. uh, it's a little. It's a little. If I have to be James Bond, I have to be old James Bond, apparently. But uh, I. I I, I've had one haircut in six months. My wife gave it to me uh, in the backyard. I think she did a pretty good job. Um, yeah, I think I'm looking pretty slick. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> my, I will not let, allow my husband to come near me with scissors. <laughs> I've totally cut his fair. hair two or three times th in, in this, and he looks great. He's not cutting my hair. Sorry. I'm like, Samson, you cut my hair. My power's gone. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I, I have so, to tell a very quick aside about Samson. Do you know that? Have you read that story in the Bible? A million years ago. The, the, that is the funniest fucking story in the Bible because she asks him three times and three times in a row, he tells her a lie and then she does the thing. And then there are Philistine commandos in the room suddenly who attack him. He kills them and he goes, huh, what a crazy coincidence. And then the fourth time he says, okay, it's my hair. Are you happy? It's my hair. And she cuts it and suddenly another team of Philistine commandos are in the room and he's like, what is, why does this keep happening? It's, like, it's a total comic book. Literally, it's like, oh, if I wear uh, gold-colored sandals, I lose all my powers. And she goes, oh, I have a pair of gold-colored sandals. Oh, hey, look, there's some guys with swords. And like, literally, he is the dumbest man in the Bible. It takes the fourth time and he still says, okay, it's my hair. Jesus, enough of this shit already. Anyway, sorry, I just, I love that story. It is so ridiculous. I think Bible stories with David Avalone is another, that's uh, another, uh, great another, podcast. another podcast. We'll get to that program. Yeah. So, so you know, is, yeah. Go ahead. How are we surviving? David, how are you surviving? Any ideas? It's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's, it's been rough. I, you know, obviously um, I, I had, I was teach and I was going to take, I took the spring semester off from teaching because the convention season was coming up. And I had, uh, you know, several big conventions and um, some pretty significant speaking engagements lined up. So I, I had, um, you know, I, I 
figured I had probably six or seven months worth of income coming between the months of late March into, we'll say, early June. And all that went away. And, uh, and, and fortunately, you know, I've, I've been working as a freelancer for uh, 20-something years now close to 30 years actually. And, and so I've, I've learned that the, the science of um, setting aside emergency money and, and, and prepping and knowing that you might hit a dry spell. And, and so the beginning of, of the pandemic was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be a dry spell for a little while. You know, I was, I was pretty optimistic in thinking that like at the very least um, we would have New York comic-con in October, which is always a good moneymaker for me. Um, and but as soon as it became clear and I knew that New York was going to be canceled like back in May, that's when I, you know, I started realizing, OK, wait a sec. All these speaking engagements are canceled. All these conventions are canceled. The comic industry is spiraling. It's spinning in the toilet. And, you know, um, what am I going to do? And then it was like, well, you, you're going to survive. You're going to figure it out. And, you know, I, I am in a fortunate position in the comic industry in that, you know, I, I still get work and, and, and I can get people on the phone and, and pitch stuff. But at the same time, I, I was looking and I am looking to do more independent creator own stuff, publish it, some of, some of it myself. And, um, and I was really gearing up to, to slow down on a number of conventions I did anyway. So in a lot of ways, COVID sort of sped up a lot of the plans that I had, things that I, I was thinking, well, not thinking, but I was planning on doing like tail end of 2021, moving into 2022. Like I just essentially overnight had to start doing it. And, and now it's like, um, you know, I'm, I'm my agent and I were negotiating a book deal with, with the publisher that I've worked with. And, and my philosophy is, you know, it's a, it's an okay deal. It's not the greatest deal in the world, but it's a, publisher I like working for and it's a book that I really want to write and there's a deal on the table and so I'm not going to be greedy and and go hey let's see if we can you know squeeze an extra you know 15k out of them let's let's take what we got and 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 roll with it and so there's a lot of sort of pragmatic thinking and and a lot of just exploring the self-publishing options because Honestly, you know, I'd love to see retailers bounce back. Um, I have a lot of friends who are retailers and I'm rooting for them. But I also know that, you know, they're limited in the stuff that they buy. Their customers are, are limited in sometimes their scope of interest. And it's asking a lot for certain retailers to invest in your your independent creator own stuff. So it's it's up to me to hustle it. And, and that's where something like Kickstarter comes in handy because, you know, I, I can move more units of a self-published thing through a Kickstarter campaign and then through my website than certain publishers are moving the books that I've written for them. So a lot of it's just about being practical and not having, um, you know, if, if my whole dream in life was to write The Punisher at, at Marvel, then I'd, I, I would have... I, I wouldn't be where I am today, for one thing, um, but I'd also be like not just shooting myself in the foot. I would have chopped off both my feet and, you know, below the or above the knee, and I'd be screwed. So, um, you know, I, I think that a lot of it's just about knowing how to recognize and how to survive in this larger freelance world, and that's 
I mean, that's brutal no matter what. But I, I, I mean, I came out of newspapers, you know, I, I, I worked in the newspaper industry. I was there when, when it died its death. So I, this ain't my first rodeo. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I, mean I, I, I totally see what you're saying. And I've noticed that a lot of times pe- people don't really realize that freelancers have to sort of average things out. You know, you've got fat years, you have lean years. Uh, my husband and I are both freelancers. Uh, um, I've only been freelance for about five years. Um, I've been writing comics for, for over 10, but I've only been uh, really full-time freelance for about five, whereas he's been freelance for about 15. So, you know, all of the, I guess, coping mechanisms, uh, be it financially or otherwise, sort of we've we've really worked through them. And, and we're both very, very lucky that we, you know, we've had it's weird to say that you're lucky to have really bad years, but it sort of preps you for something like this. Um, and we both, you know, had, uh, you know, work kind of get shelved. Um, he is in film and television editing. So if they're not shooting anything, then there's nothing for him to edit. So, you know, we've both sort of, um, had to deal with that. Same thing with me doing editing. There are some people who I was supposed to edit their indie work, but they don't have the money to finance it right now because, you know, they were furloughed or something. So therefore, you know, I can't edit the book because they're not writing it because they can't pay to get it, um, to get it drawn. So, I mean, it's, it's a tough, you know, line to walk just in general. And I try to tell people, you know, if you want to go freelance, it's not like everybody thinks, oh, I get to work in my pajamas and, you know, my commutes, you know, five steps to my office and everything. There's a lot more to it than people realize. And and even just on the technical side of it, um, I was trying to explain to somebody the idea that like, you know, when it comes to paying taxes, if you have your full-time job, your taxes are being taken out and you don't have to worry about that. But when you're a freelancer, that is something that you automatically have to take into account. So when April comes, I mean, well, whatever country you're in, but if you're in the US, when April comes, you realize, oh, I'm gonna get a tax bill for however much it's gonna be. If you haven't been sort of putting money aside month by month throughout the year, then that might be a huge hit that that comes to you. You know, Um, so I mean, COVID, even in the best of times, even in the best of circumstances, being a freelancer is really difficult and, and it's a balancing act. Um, and now things are, you know, a little more precarious because even if you have a cushion, even if you, you know, like David said, he's been a freelancer almost 30 years. Even if you have that knowledge and you've been through like fat and lean times and you, you know how to navigate it, this doesn't really have an end date to it. Um, And the other thing, uh, if I could just piggyback on what David had said about uh, using Kickstarter and, um, and doing uh, crowdfunding, crowdfunding is great. And I love the idea. And I, and I love the fact that you're connecting directly to your audience, directly to your fans. And this might sound cynical and I apologize if it does, but I thought we were supposed to be honest. So I'm going to be, um, you know, people have in this economy, in this current economy, they have a very limited amount of funds. Most people, I mean, obviously there are people who are fine, but most people have a very limited amount of funds. So starting a Kickstarter during this economy is going to be tough because 
it's like, all right, well, I have this great book that I've put my time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears into, and I really want people to fund it. But even in the best intentions, people might not have the money to do that. And you can't like begrudge people for that. I know nobody is, but I'm just saying like, so even trying to do a Kickstarter is tough because the pool of people that you would be um, sort of counting on for the funding are, are also hurting like everyone else. Does that make sense? Yeah. I do, I do have some good news about that though. Okay. Uh, Cause I've been, I've done a couple of big Kickstarters the last couple of years and I know a lot of people who are doing them. And comic Kickstarters are still doing very well, uh, unaccountably. Uh, I think it's because, you know, people have limited funds, absolutely. But they're also, they're not going out to dinner. They're not going to the movies. Not, like okay, okay. A comic mm-hmm. Kickstarter where you drop $25, that's one night at the movies for one person. Uh, so a lot of Kickstarters are pretty cheap compared to other. So, because I, I, I think that's a... You, you, your point is absolutely well taken, but what I've found in practice uh, and what I was hearing from people inside Kickstarter was start a comic Kickstarter now because yeah. people actually are kind of hungry for it because they can't. I mean, and remember, three months ago, you couldn't even pick up your comics from your local comic book store. That is very true. So that is very true. a feeling of connection to the comic world that they were already missing and a feeling of that community that they were missing. That's just, well, yeah. And I, well, yeah. And I, I, I ran my, I ran my Kickstarter last month and it was the same thing. And the reason I, I had these same concerns that you're talking about, Erica. And, um, I was, um, you know, I had about five people come to me and say, no, you have to do it now. And, uh, and in the end it was the head of the, the Kickstarter, uh, comic outreach, uh, division, whatever, you know, wh- whatever that, that division is called, who, who, you know, sort of, emailed me then then got on the phone with me and said it's the best time ever basically they had um at that point uh, you know at at that point they had about half as many projects as they usually have and uh and and the backer counts were not there were still people you know the backer counts were not ticking down at all and so um so i launched my kickstarter and um and i you know I, i set a pretty high goal i funded in uh you know 40 hours or something like that and then um and then i ended up doing about twice as much as i is my ask. So, um, so if you're thinking about doing one and, 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 and particularly if you go on there with a name and a body of work, uh, uh, it, 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 you know, it really packs a punch. Um, you know, as you know, we've, we of course have seen with, uh, with Avalone and, and Walker, of course. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, um, it's an interesting time for Kickstarter. And it's also, you know, I mean, I, 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 I spend, an inordinate amount of time on Kickstarter. I'm not backing as many projects as I used to just because I've got too much stuff, but I I'm trying to pay attention to, you know, what's happening in that realm. And, and I think that, you know, again, six months from now, maybe even less three, four months from now, once the holidays roll around, it it might be a, a slightly different thing, but you know, again, not being able to go to conventions, not only does it impact us as creators, it's also impacting the fans. Um, you know, and there's people who, who set aside a certain amount of money to go to whatever show and spend a certain amount of money to buy their indie books or their prints or whatever. And I think that the, the crucial thing to keep in mind with, with Kickstarter, there's, there's quite a few things. One is, you know, I would never, I would never do a project myself personally 
if we weren't like at the coloring lettering phase. Um, like it, the the book has to be completely drawn before I would even consider launching a campaign. And you know, and there's there's and the other thing I think that a lot of people don't think about going into it is that it it there is a community mindset to it um, to to a lot of the backers. And you know, my my campaign, my most recent campaign ended. I'm gonna say like two or three weeks after the the primary shutdown here in the US. It was it was in March and it was it was time to end right after Emerald City Comic Con. And, you know, I was kind of panicking because I thought, you know, people are gonna they're gonna cancel their 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 pledges and you know we're gonna lose the money and and very few people um, canceled their pledges. And but one of the things that I, I I made a decision to do was to try to do more updates than I had done with my last campaign, be more transparent about stuff. And you know there's now that stuff is the I'd say like ninety nine percent of the the rewards have shipped, but we've been dealing with all this these shipping problems with the United States Post Office and not just the U.S. I mean there's there's some countries that don't even have mail delivery service right now. Yeah. Um, and so I've had to refund some money on those fronts, but I've been really open and honest with everybody. And a lot of, you know, people are reaching out to me privately and are, you know, oh, hey, thanks. Thanks for sharing. And and there's just been, um, you know, people like, you know, it's OK if you're running late because because at the end of the day, I I was I, I promised the estimated ship date was June um, and by June 31st, it was clear the earliest I was going to get stuff in the mail was was like July 7th or so. And I'm freaking out. And everybody was like, yeah, you know, don't worry about it. You know, it's it's, um, you know, it, it, as long as you deliver. But there's actually people that were like, you know, hey, stay healthy. You know, yeah. don't go to the post office if you can help it, because it's um, it's probably a disease vector. So <laughs> yeah. um, there, it, it's really I've just, you know, one of the things that I miss about conventions, the thing I miss the most is the the community spirit that happens there, and the, the socializing, and and I, Kickstarter just has its own unique vibe of that anyway, and it and it's always interesting because I will get once in a while I'll get a message from somebody that's really like, the sort of thing you just would roll your eyes about, and then and then you click on their profile and they've backed two projects and it's like oh yeah they they don't understand this world here um and and then the the more supportive people you click on their profiles like they back 75 projects they understand how it works and so um absolutely i am definitely going to do more you know i'm i'm actually trying to i've got an idea for a uh and i but i can't figure out how to make it work i want to give away a comic book for free i want to figure out the cost of producing it, the cost of of everything, shipping. How much do I need to raise in order to, you know, give away a thousand free comics? And I did one. Did you? Absolutely. Yep. We did a. We set a stretch goal. Uh, okay. I mean, I when I did the thing with the first thing with Kevin Eastman. Yeah. You know, drawing blood is this midlife crisis, all that jazz comic, <laughs> and his fan base likes the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. So saying you like the Ninja Turtles, here's Fellini's eight and a half. You're going to dig this is not the smartest sales strategy. Yeah. Because it's autobiographical, we needed to create our in-universe version of the Ninja Turtles. 
And it occurred to me early on that if we made that the stretch goal, yeah, they'd want that really badly. <laughs> they, Got you know, it. like Kevin Eastman writing the thing and me writing the thing about midlife crisis, whatever. But if you give us a hundred thousand dollars, you get for free a thirty-two page mutant cats fighting crime in New York City comic. Yeah. So they made damn sure they got that comic. And they did it by ordering an extra poster. Or a, but, but yeah, our original ask was we had budgeted out that the four issues of Drawing Blood paying everyone very well with a huge amount of fudge for shipping and paying people to stuff envelopes. I think our, 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 uh, our budget was like maybe $85,000 for four 22-page comic books. And all of the ancillary stuff. Um, and we figured for 100000 we could do the Ragdolls comic. So we got to 100 and they got the Ragdolls comic for free. Just uh, so you know, I love stuffing envelopes, so I am more than happy. <laughs> I, will, I will stuff envelopes for your Kickstarter. Well. I know, I grew up. My mother was an activist when I was a kid, so I literally grew up. I know, them. because we worked on AS4 together. I yeah, don't. Don't don't I joke can't. because I, I I have about two hundred packages that need to go out in, uh, in a couple of weeks. So I'll just I'll I'll just ship it all to you, Erica. So I'm not if, if I'm you're... not kidding. There's something for me. There's something cathartic about going. Oh, it's very zen. It is. It's there's I, something I so cathartic about it. Yeah. I have a uh, uh, with my because I've only done two kickstarters at this point. My first Kickstarter, I had a crew of friends, and I I said you know lunch is on me. We'll get together. We'll create this assembly line. It's like and, moving in college. Pizza and yeah. beer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we got the entire, uh, I'd say we got about 80% of the rewards packaged in about four or five hours. Um, but this this time it was clear. There was, I can't get the guys together. I can't get the crew together. It's going to be me. Yeah. And and it took damn near a month to get all of them, um, you know, every single reward put together. And it was boring and it was frustrating, but it was also like, since the pandemic, it's the first thing that I've worked on that I've done that there was a very tangible, like, oh, I've got a, a big thing of books I'm taking to the post office. I, I felt accomplished and, and uh, I don't ever want to do it again. Um, <laughs> there's, I, I feel like 200 maybe is about my limit. And then I, I've lost my mind, but um, you know, there was, by the time we got to the foreign orders, because I did those last, it was we were we I passed like eight hundred, you know, okay. packages stuffed, and it was like too much. But you know, you said something really, really important just then. You said it was a concrete, like yeah. tangible thing, and I think that's one of the things that's kind of like freaking people out a, a lot. Is this we're sort of like in this weird, like kind of nebulous, kind of you know moment, and doing something like stuffing envelopes or something like that, like you said, you can see your progress. Yeah. yeah. Like you can see it. And, and that, and even something as simple as that, like giving you that sense of accomplishment for the day or for the week or whatever, that's like a boost that we all, I mean, it, it sounds so simple, but it really, I mean, it's genuine. Absolutely. I mean, my husband has given me a stack of books because I want to start doing screenwriting. So I got final draft. I've been, you know, doing this, doing that. And my husband gave me a stack of books from when he was in film school. And I'm like, oh God, but I finished one. And it's like, <laughs> yes, 
<laughs> you know, and it's the stupidest thing to be like, yes, yeah. you finished a book, but it's like, but it's like you said, it's a tangible thing. It's it's something. It's an accomplishable goal right now. And right now, when you when nothing is 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 clear cut, being able yeah. to say yes, it's going back on the shelf because I read it. It's like some weird book? thing, but it feels good, right? Did, yeah. What was the book? Did Did he uh, give you Adventures in the Screen Trade? Uh, no, but it, it is on my that is on my uh, on my pile. Uh, the book is um, Understanding Movies. Uh, Louis Gianetti. I have that book. I, you totally froze, so I didn't hear it. This oh, is like um, understanding movies. Uh, Louis uh, Louis Gianetti. Okay. Yeah, I that was... check it out. Yeah, but uh, my, uh, my my uh, I, oh go ahead. Well, I was gonna say I also have shot by shot, and I have uh, screenwriting by Sid. What's his face? Field. field. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love how the three of us all said field in unison. Yeah. Well, because, you know, I, I started book. my writing career. I was a published poet for many years under another name. And then I started my writing career in comics. I didn't do the, the screenwriting then comics like some people. So now I'm like, okay, well, you know, I've got all this IP. Maybe I can start writing pilots for things and, you know, trying to be, you know, pivot, try and do the new best things. thing about screenwriting yeah. is totally you don't be, have yeah. to write the sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite thing about screenwriting. And I'm, ah. I, was, I, I had a writing, I had an actual screenwriting job the last month. And I was like writing a scene where someone broke a window and I literally wrote SFX crash and went, oh, right. No, don't do that. That's totally unnecessary now. Yeah, but as somebody who's been a letterer, I love the sound effects. Like that's that's yeah. my point. You, you, you I, can I, still write in the sound effects. You just do it a different way. Uh, I, I, I have. I struggle uh, with sound effects more than anything in writing comic books. I feel like an idiot when I write. You know, the shadow picks up the Tommy gun. SFX. I'm like, what? What am I? Five. Writing. So you know how many people will send me scripts as a letterer and let's just say and literally it'll say SFX. Erica, fill it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, wow. it's it, it's the best practice. If you have a great letter, you, you just have you have to hand it off because I mean, what I found is like I'm not bad at it, but what I found is that no matter what, every time my letter is going to do something better. And so we just have this deal now. It's just like I mean, I, I may try to write something in, but I'll just say you know, just say like, look, you're you're going to nail this, so just nail it. And so uh, so he'll come he'll come back and he just surprises me with stuff. I yeah. mean, it's just Taylor Esposito tends to take my C's out and uh, swap them for K's. Yeah, yeah, my, my, that, that seems to be if a common like practice. Braca, braca, braca with a CK. He's like, no, no, just the K. Don't need the C. So this it's, is some very inside baseball stuff, kids at home. It's so funny because I hate writing special effects. Me too, man. And the only thing I hate more than writing them is lettering them because I've done my <laughs> lettering, and and it's like, honestly, it's another, it's a whole other level of lettering that it's like, I learned how to letter in about three hours, and it was it was completely out of necessity it was a project years ago we had no money to hire a letterer um the the it was a smaller publisher they weren't going to give us any money and it was like oh crap so i went on youtube watched some videos i had that that publication that starkings had put out uh, mm -hmm. went through that and and got it down i'm good and proficient but man special or sound effects like I, as as so as a rule, I I try to never put them in the script because in my mind it's like, oh yeah, whoever's lettering this is gonna like they're like me. They can't figure out how do you outline the let and make a burst and yeah. I actually I taught lettering for two years, so oh, wow. I I uh, 
it's something that I enjoy. And and basically when I when I did when I would teach it, um, I, I would tell people, look, I'm gonna teach you how to be proficient, I'm gonna teach you how to be professional, and then you have to sort of find your own style. You know, like, and there are certain places that have like a house style, like, let's be honest, like there are certain publishers that have, you know, like basically they have their house fonts and they have their house style and they want things to be a certain way and this, that, and the next thing. And that's fine. But if you're doing your own work, um, allow yourself the opportunity to sort of branch out, allow yourself the opportunity to find your own style, to find your own, uh, whether you're going to do your burst a certain way or, you know, like, like David was saying, um, but if you've got to learn how to do it quick and dirty on the fly, YouTube and Starking's yeah. book. Also, um, who else? Uh, Todd Klein has a has a, a lettering book too, which is good oh, if okay. you want to look that up too. It's um, I, I discovered because I I mean when I was in school, when I was going to say, did you have High Eisman as your lettering? Yes, I had I had High Eisman. He was one of the best instructors there, but this was all hand lettering back in the day. And I had like this chicken scratch going into the class. Um, Now it's my handwriting is a little bit better, but what's, what's interesting to me is like, I have, there's certain things that it's like, no, you can't do this. And, and like, I'm very, uh, the period is the, or the dot at the end of the exclamation point and the dot at the end of the question mark, it has to look a certain way. And there's like three or four key letters. And if they don't look right, I will. You have never seen a writer go more ballistic. And and it's it's the most bizarre thing. And and, and I, I just worked with a letterer um, recently on the Kickstarter project. And, and I emailed her and I said, look, I'm, I'm just going to warn you beforehand. These are my weird quirks. And I, I typed out all the letters and I typed out all the symbols and I said, if they're like whatever font you're thinking about using, if 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 it doesn't do this, we're done, you know. And 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 fortunately, she wrote back, and she had the same quirks that I did. So it was like, um, but yeah, it's it's interesting the things you discover about yourself, especially when you have to really study it. And as a writer, I think every writer, every comic book writer, should letter at least one project that they've written 100 percent agreed and i think and even more important and every penciler should letter at least one script that they haven't written but that they've drawn um because i see too many artists who who just don't leave room for the text they don't pay attention to it and i i will put in a script um sometimes at the top of a page i'll be like okay just so you know this page ton of text make sure you leave enough space for it because because I remember talking to Tom Orzachowski about this once um, as I was teaching. pronouncing that right off the bat, by the way. (laughs) I have seen that name written in comic books for 40 years and been completely incapable of saying it out loud. So say it one more time. It's Tom Orzachowski. There we go. Impressive. And I I saw him at a convention, and this was right as I was teaching myself how to letter. So this was maybe seven or eight years ago, and I just said – I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm teaching myself how to letters. What advice could you give me? And he said, you know, everything on the page is important. Everything in the panel is important. And it's up to you to determine um, what important thing is okay to cover. And, and I, I really thought about that. And so now when I work with an artist, I, I, there's, there's sometimes I'm, I'm super easygoing for the most part up to a point, but there are, I will say, I tell them all the time, I will not hesitate to let your work be covered if you don't 
um, if you're not paying attention to what needs to be on the page. And and part of that came from, I, I wasn't that hardcore until very recently um, because I'm working for book publishers now. And book publishers have, comic book publishers don't work in word counts, but like you do a, a graphic novel for Scholastic or First Seconds, most of them are going to have a predetermined word count and they're not going to let you cut text. They will just tell you, cover the art. And, and I did a project a couple of years ago where the artist just clearly wasn't paying attention. And I was just like, I told the letter, cover it. I said, as long as you're not covering the face, we're fine. And, and so, but there's, I mean, this is a business and there's a craft to it. You know, we could call it an art, but, and I do believe comics are an art form and I think lettering's an art form, but the moment you bring um, money into the mix, once you you bring it into a, a place where um, you are making income off of it, that art then starts to become more of a craft. Um, and I know some people, uh, you know, it, it's like when I was in college, you know, and I wanted to st study at the time, they called it commercial art. That was the closest thing you had to like a comic studies program. And um, there are people who cringed at commercial art. And I was like, well, I want to make a living doing this, you know? So, um, so I, I get a little, I'm a little mercenary sometimes in my thought process. But it's funny that you say that because one of the things that I actually, I hammered home, last year was the first year that I actually taught at the Kubert School. So now that the second year is coming up um, in a couple of weeks, I feel way more comfortable because, you know, that first year you're sort of like feeling everything out. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the number one things that I said to pretty much every student I had, and I was teaching second and third year students, and I'll be teaching second and third year again this year, is look, if you graduate on Friday and you're not drawing Spider-Man by Monday, you're not a failure. Like there are multiple places to be a commercial artist and make a living. Like one of the first, you know, I have, uh, I do freelance for um, a girlfriend of mine from college worked at a, uh, an accounting firm and I do freelance work for them um, where Every time they do trade shows, I do all the signage, I do all the brochures, I do, you know, all that stuff. Um, is it sexy work? No. Does it help me pay my mortgage? Absolutely. You know, so I'm still a working artist. Yeah. I'm just yeah. not drawing Spider-Man or drawing Batman. And I, so, and I think there's this sort of like mindset that if you're not drawing some like major character then you know you failed or you're not a real artist and i think you know okay you said we could curse i think that's bullshit yeah and so i would rather be an artist that's paying my bills and doing you know working at um an accounting firm than not paying my bills and having you know a fabulous tumbler full of uh you know of of you know fan art yeah let's be so, honest so my dad wrote 200 published novels uh, you can imagine that not all of them are uh, the Great Gatsby. And uh, he, used well, that to, is. he used he used to say out of every three le three words, two to put food on the table and one for beauty and truth. And mm -hmm. uh, he has a quote, a famous quote attributed to him, which is uh, a writer should be able to write anything from the Garden Seed catalog to the Holy Bible to return to the Bible one more time. And uh <laughs> You love that Bible, Avalone. And he wrote, you know, he wrote uh, the private eye books are, I think, were his passion and were the thing that he wanted to write and were the thing where he found the most self-expression, ironically enough. But 
the thing that made us rich in the early 70s is he wrote a bunch of Partridge Family tie-in novels for the TV show. Uh, Those books I, are great, by the way. Don't ever not. <laughs> See, yeah. David has read them and I haven't, <laughs> which is the yeah. funny part. Uh, You're but, getting disowned right now. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, he taught me – this is one of my favorite stories about him, and I'll try to make it as brief as possible. Towards uh, – during some lean years, he got a job writing – a novelization of Friday the 13th Part 3 3D. I always tell people, yes, he wrote it in 3D. And uh, when the script arrived in the mail, I remember we were not, you know, it was not a happy day. Uh, I, he said, you look at it. I, I'm, I'm too disgusted to even look at this thing. I read it. It was terrible. I handed it to him. I said, well, this is terrible. And he said, okay. And he took it down into his uh, study and there was about a half hour of silence. And then I heard the typewriter. And then about a half hour later, he came up with pages in his hand. And he was like, I want you to say, I'm doing something really great with Jason here. And I just looked at him like, You're, you, all, you, you already love it. It's garbage, <laughs> and it's, it's garbage and it's stupid, but you have already found something in it. And no, I'm doing something here with Jason on page five. It's really, it's really good. It's really, it's really fun. And... <laughs> To me, that was the best lesson he ever taught me, yeah. is when someone hands you the dumbest thing in the world, whatever it might be, you just go, what, 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 how could, where's the joy? What can I do with this yeah. to be happy about it? Well, I mean, if, if you want to talk about that, I mean, I came up during the Sundance movement, right? You know, Pulp Fiction made me want to, you know, write movies. And I, I sort of came out to L.A. to, you know, make my sex lives and videotape or whatever. And uh, it was made worse. Um, I uh, I studied directing at the American Film Institute Conservatory. And, and you know, some of you know that, some of you don't. Um, it, you know, where uh, David Lynch went and Darren Aronofsky and Terrence Malick. And so um, a lot of snooty artistic assholes. And so I already had kind of the snooty artistic asshole uh, uh, bug. And so they just kind of like watered those seeds and cultivated it. Um, and so I had my nose turned up for a really long time. Right. And um, and the the problem is I get spit out of uh, gets spit out of AFI and start working and Hollywood kind of stopped making those movies. You know, the whole independent film movement kind of moved on to television. Um, you know, I'd like to say that I, Pulp Fiction today would be a 10-episode, you know, series on Netflix, very obviously. Um, Breaking Bad, uh, you know, in the 90s would have been, a, a, a you know, a Sundance indie or something like that. But so Hollywood stops making those movies, and all that's left are, um, are you know, kind of the Hollywood movies. Um, and a lot of it ends up being a lot of tripe, right? And um, And so... You know, I, I've I've written professionally in Hollywood for for 15 years. I've I've never had to do anything, um, and I don't have my name on a whole lot of shit. And so um, I have uh, I have stayed alive and made my living and kept my family and house, home, and, and insurance by um, by polishing a lot of turds. Right? Um, I've made um, I've made some pretty good movies, a little bit better. Uh, I've made a lot of shitty movies, like slightly more toler tolerable. Um, <laughs> I don't, uh, my rule is I don't, you know, I don't talk about it specifically unless, uh, unless my name's on it. Uh, if it has somebody else's name on it, it's, it's kind of a, you know, the samurai code here that you're not like, oh, you've just seen that piece of garbage before I got a hold of it. Right. Um, uh, but, um, you know, and, and it was hard for me and I was the tortured artist for, for a good couple of years. And, and I don't remember who said it, but it was a, it was a friend who kind of checked me, you know, and it's like, look, dude, you get, you know, you get paid to fucking write movies, you know? 
or you yeah. get paid to write books or you get paid to write comic books or, 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 or whatever, you know, and, and, and that's what I have to remind myself from time to time. I'll get down on myself. And, and of course, I mean, we're in a, you know, we're again, strangest times ever. Right. Um, and, and I'm, I'm lucky in that I was commenced on two, two film writing gigs before, you know, the sky started falling. So I have stayed employed through this whole thing. Um, the comics business is a, is a little bit different story because I, um, you know, cause I, I basically had, you know, I, I'm still young in the comics game. I mean, I, I, I did my smaller books and they were well received and I won my Ringo. And so then opportunity came knocking. Um, I had two books ready to go with larger publishers and, um, and then the shit hit the fan. And so they were, you know, those titles were furloughed. Um, I don't know if they're ever going to get hired back. Everything is in flux now. And that's why I went to Kickstarter. Um, you know, but you can get down on it. You can, you can have this kind of woe is me attitude and you can, uh, you know, but, but I got to remind myself from time to time. It's like, you know, man, you get, you get paid to like make up stories, you know? <laughs> um, and very few of us can say that. And I mean, I think it's such a gift and such an honor and, uh, and, and I have to, uh, you know, I like write it on a piece of paper and tape it to my mirror. I have to, you know, wake up every morning feeling like shit. And, and, and I got to look at that and remind myself of that. And sometimes I got to remind myself of that three, four, five, ten times a day, depending on how shitty it gets, because it's gotten pretty shitty recently. Uh, but um, we are—we do kind of live a charmed life. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a. I have a white card. Well, it's yellow now. That was over my father's desk, and it's his handwriting, and I keep it over my desk, and it's the greatest motivational slash anti-motivational thing ever. It's nobody asked you to be a writer. Can you take a photo and send that to me? Oh, sure. Thank you. Yeah. And I just, I love it so much because he was a very optimistic, positive guy, but he wanted in moments of frustration to be reminded, hey, buddy, man, this was actually your dream. And this is how the dream plays out. And there's no being a writer without having whatever shitty moment made you look over here at this card. It's funny that you say that. Um, my best friend is not in writing. She's not. I mean, my best friend of 30 years, she's not part of the comics. You know, the only comics she's ever read are the ones that I've written and given to her. Right. Um, and I was I was texting her this giant diatribe about, you know, this garbage and that garbage. And I can't believe this person did this and blah, blah, blah. And this publisher, blah, blah, blah. And she stops me. And and she's like, Erica, I, I have to ask you a question. If If it sucks that much, why are you doing it? And I'm like, because there's nothing else in the world I want to do. She's like, but it makes you miserable. I'm like, yes, but it also brings me the most incredible amounts of joy. You know, I mean, it's, it's how you can love something and hate something so intensely is just insane. It's, it, is a, it is an abusive boyfriend. It's an abusive relationship, but it's say, a real, part of my abusive girlfriend. But yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like I mean, I can't, I can't do. And but somebody from completely different, you know, perspective coming and being like, then what the hell are you doing? Because you know, kind of thing. And that's why I mean, whenever I tell people, I was teaching uh, online classes for writing at the Kubert School uh, over the summer, and I was telling people, I was saying, look. If you want to quit your good day job and become a freelance writer, that's fine. But I just want to tell you one thing. If there is anything else in this world that you can do, do that thing. Because 
if you, the only reason why people write comics is because there is nothing else in the world that they can do. There we go. That's awesome. Yeah. Nobody That's asked awesome. you to be a writer. <laughs> I, you know, when the first time I, I posted it. that, I said, uh, try to ignore the coffee stains. And a friend of mine very wisely said, no, man, the coffee stains are the whole fucking point. And I went, no, that's a very, that's a very astute observation about that. The coffee stains are a big part of the job. But yeah, that's something my dad wrote. It's about, I'd say it's about three by five. That's Uh, awesome. No, I live by that philosophy, even on the the worst of times. and, And I've had to, I've literally had this, the variation of this speech, of this, of this saying, this card, three times this week with other people. And I just said, you know, look, um, no one's forcing you to do this. No one's, and, and I, I, you know, and I, I've learned my lessons. Some of them I've learned the hard way. It's, it's, um, you know, I really like the medium of comics. I'm not a big fan of the industry. I'm, I'm, I've always been vocal about that. Um, when I, when the time comes for me to leave this industry, I'll I'll be able to leave it and, you can and shut off your rocket. Yeah, and I but I but I can always come back to it too if I want. There's there's nothing. The the the, the threshold of entry is actually pretty low, and and it doesn't seem as low when you're first starting out and you're struggling. And I and I understand that I'm. You want to, we're talking about being in a fortunate place. Um, I know that I can I can reach out to a lot of different artists and go, hey, do you want to work on something? And and not have to say to them, I don't have any money to pay you. I do have to say I don't have your full page rate, but um, you know, let's make this let's make this work. And and um, you know, and I, I I I'm realistically I'm looking at other industries and where am I going to go? But it's just like, yeah, I I had a life before comics. I had a career before comics. Um, and I, and I'll have a life if I, if I decide to leave and, and, and that's not to say that I'm going to leave 100%. Main reason I started my own little publishing imprint was so that I could always work in comics by my own rules. And that's, that feels, I'm sorry. I I mean, I, I've, I've written some great stuff for Marvel and DC and other publishers. Nothing feels better to me than, than the stuff that that I created and own and, and nobody said to me, Oh, you know, Captain America would never say that. <laughs> well, who's saying Captain America would never say that? Cause if, if he was real, we could call him right now, but he's making <laughs> on the phone. Here's, here's, a, here's a metaphor I have been using for years and I think you're going to like it. People always have, you know, you meet someone new and they say, are you in the film industry? This is what I always answer. Well, that's because you live in L.A. Yeah, but even so, this is what I've always answered. Say there's a guy. Say he lives in Detroit. Say he's making concept cars in his backyard and selling them to maybe 30 people. Is that person in the automobile industry or is that person someone who is an eccentric who makes cars who lives in Detroit? That is your choice. To, you want to be in the ind- I don't work for GM. I have never – I have – on Red Sonia last year, I briefly worked for GM for a couple of months as a subcontractor. But I've never worked for GM. I have always been a guy in my backyard. Hey, this thing has wheels and, a, and, a, and an engine. You like it? I made it. Isn't it great? And then five people buy it. You know, and that's the – so that's – the industry, 
you know, it comes, it goes, it is what it is. You work with the people that you want to work with, like the lovely people on this chat. You don't work with the people that offend your sense of morality. Again, yeah. as I have personally experienced recently. So that's all there is to it. And as we've all said, you wake up in the morning, you get to do the thing that you wanted to do your whole life. And that is the only thing that matters. And I've, you know, if you go look at my IMDb page, I always say it's a, it's the sign of a disordered mind. A psychiatrist would look at my IMDb page and say, what is wrong with, can this person not focus on a thing and do that one thing? But it's because, you know, I, when I first moved to LA, I put the word freelance on my card and I've kind of lived by that. And literally people would say, well, freelance what? And I'd say, what do you, what do you need done? What do you got? <laughs> you know. Well, you're you a Jersey boy. You got a body you need to bury out in the desert? I got a car. You're, you're a Jersey boy, so you got Moxie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 in terms of the film business, I've worked for Ford. I've worked for GM. I've worked for Chrysler. Uh, I've worked for them all. And I've never been more happy uh, uh, than I have been kind of tinkering in my backyard. You know, yeah. um, uh, it's uh, if, if I could, um, I don't know, it, you know, if I could tinker in my backyard for the rest of my life, I think I would. Yep. Finding that balance. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. First, I got to make my backyard. Then I'm going to tinker in it. I, so when is the next issue of The Hated? What can question. I do that happen? I, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I got to get cracking. I'm hoping that we can do the campaign before the year is up. Um, but uh, I'm saying that with August being half over. And, right. um, and, time, and is well, time is like a concept that doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. <laughs> But it, it's going to be, it, it needs to be fairly soon. And, and I've already, you know, I've got a whole bunch of it mapped out and, and um, my artist is working on some stuff, but it's, uh, the response has been so positive that I'm like, oh yeah, no, it's, it, it's going to happen. But part of the reason I, I opted to do it this way was because um, I wanted to work with this particular artist who maintains a certain schedule and mm -hmm. takes a certain amount of time. And I wasn't going to work with anyone else on it. So right. um, it'll be done. It'll be done when it's done. How's that? Yep. Well, I just wanted to let you know there's something, you know, very excited to see it. Yes, really I'm, I, I am excited for it because it is, it's like a lot of spaghetti westerns in that in the second half, it's when it kicks in. It's like <laughs> the violence and the, ugh, it's going to be good. Great. Great. So why don't we, uh, you know, why don't we go ahead and wrap things up? It seems like things are kind of winded down anyway. End of the con. Uh, these uh, these mainframe Comic Con uh, directors have uh, been working night and day, uh, and they are probably thank on their last you, legs. Yes, on their last you, oh, for letting us Yeah, use thank, thank you so much. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.